Good morning, everyone. Welcome back. June 11th uh, today, so we are marching toward the official start of summer. We had the unofficial start a couple weeks ago around Memorial Day, so I hope everybody is going to be able to get some summer fun plans in place, if you haven't already done so, to do some traveling maybe, get out and enjoy the beautiful weather. Um, Let's see... Okay, my wife is here. I just want to make sure so we can get started. Good. Last, year, uh, last week she was not here, so I, I have to account and make sure she didn't leave again. So she was under the weather last week, so she had a, a good reason not to be here. Um, let's uh, do some review. I've got up on the screen right now the three attributes we're going to be studying today. Uh, but let's do a little bit of review from last week. Okay, so what attributes did we discuss last week as we continue our study of theology proper, looking at what is God like, what are his attributes? Uh, can anybody recall? I'll give you a hint. We were planning on three, and we only got through two. So uh, anybody remember what attributes we looked at last week? All right, Gordy, thank you. He said eternal, God Eternally exists, that was the first attribute, yep, and the second one. Transcendent, uh, that, that was kind of wrapped up in that idea of God's eternal existence. So we'll get to that in a second, Adam, but that's a good guess. I'll give you a hint, it had to do, there was a lot of talk about animals um, as it related to this other attribute. Eternally existent, right? Or, right. Right, that's okay. It's good to repeat it. Independent. Oh, is that my wife? Yeah, independence. God has independence, and uh, he also has freedom. So we kind of talked a little bit about God's independence and his freedom. We talked a little bit about, is that one of those attributes that we share? And I agree, it's more of a relative manner we do. We don't have absolute independence or absolute freedom like God has. Uh, but it is one of those attributes he does share with us. All right, a couple of terms we looked at last week. Let's see if we can define them. Communicable versus incommunicable. Uh, Anybody want to take a stab at this one? What does it mean if something is communicable? or incommunicable. Yes, Kelly. Oh, I like that. Pass onable. Is it able to be passed on? Yes. So we're talking about God's attributes right now. Does he pass any of these attributes on to us? Do we as humans share some of these? That would be a communicable attribute. If he does not, and it's only his attribute, it's said to be incommunicable. And I think I mentioned within the last few weeks, you'll hear this term sometimes as it relates to diseases. Diseases can be communicable. They can be passed on from one person to another, unfortunately. So a lot of times that's in a negative connotation. Okay, another term we looked at last week is this term, this idea of aseity. Uh, can anybody remember that term? The aseity going back to God existing eternally. Okay. 
Okay. All right, so I will share this one. This is the idea where God in and of himself has existence. You and I cannot say that. We do not exist because of something about ourselves. It was people independent of us, and God as the giver of life who allowed us to have our existence. That is not the same for God. He in and of himself has existence. That's his aseity. And then as Adam mentioned a little bit ago, we talked about this idea of transcendence. And if uh, we can put a definition to that, what would we say? Sometimes we will be watching, I don't know if you ever watch sports, but sometimes there will be this athlete who will come along and they'll say, this guy is a transcendent athlete. Uh, What are they trying to say? It's kind of a bad comparison here as we're thinking about God, but I'm trying to think, where else have we heard this word transcendent? Grant? Right. He's above and beyond everything, and he doesn't have to deal with human limitations. So he is transcendent, and that is the idea there. So these are some good, some good terms as we look at God and who he is and what he is like. Okay, so today we'll uh, hop into, and I, I think I'm probably being aggressive with three, but we'll see if we can do it. Uh, three attributes today, and we'll start off with this idea of God is knowable. And how do we define that? I think we can say he is partially and personally understood by humans. All right. So God has made himself, uh, he has committed enough of himself to us to be able to be partially and hopefully for all of us in this room personally understood uh, to some degree. So as we do with each of these attributes, we ask the question, is this attribute communicable or incommunicable. So that's where we say, do, do we as humans also have this attribute? Are we knowable? Yes. I think this is one of those attributes we can, we can quickly say with hopefully not too much uh, debate that we are knowable beings. Okay, so when we say partial knowledge of God, what do we mean by that? Uh, if you take a look at 1 Corinthians 13, 12, uh, I'm going to just read that here quick. This is, of course, right in the chapter that's often referred to as the love chapter. As Paul makes the case here of the importance of love, he's talking about different uh, gifts there in the church. And when you get to verse 12, Paul writes this. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So you see this idea of a mirror dimly. The mirrors back in that day were not even as nice as the mirrors we have today. So it was even a more difficult uh, image coming back your way in the ancient mirrors. Uh, Did not have the access to the great glass that we have today. They were using their metals of that day to use as a mirror. So in this verse here, toward the end of chapter 13, we're understanding we only have certain knowledge, and that certainly relates to God and what we know of God. But there will be a day that knowledge will be extended. So why is that the case? Well, we are, as much as we hate to admit this sometimes, severely limited by our finite minds and our limited understanding. Uh, John Calvin, 
gave us this Latin phrase several hundred years ago, which I've, um, which I've come to appreciate here as we think about the limitations we're stuck with in these human bodies. He said, finitum non capax infinitum, which translated is the finite cannot grasp the infinite. Uh, it doesn't mean we shouldn't try, but understand we are severely limited in our flesh. And so he's making the case here, and Paul certainly did in 1 Corinthians 13, there's only a certain amount we can figure out and try to understand about God, though he is knowable. Another phrase, I, I can't remember who said this uh, or wrote this, but I, I like it. it. It says, God's knowledge, it is attainable, but not comprehensible. So we should be grasping for it, try to gather as much as we can about it, but for us to say, we've got this command, we've got this total comprehension, just is not going to be the case. So I guess my question for you, uh, maybe you've thought about this before, will we ever fully know God even in a glorified state? So once we get out of these flesh and bones bodies that we're in right now and we get a glorified body, will we then be able to know God fully? Okay, we've got one vote for I don't think so. We've got a vote over here for no Okay, so Michael shared there's this aspect in heaven where the angels are constantly glorifying God, uh, really bringing honor to God in a sense. And so I think what you're saying is there's this knowledge gap there because they're looking at him at a different level still in eternity. Awestruck. Okay, good. Grant? Okay, so Grant shared, we will be learning about God throughout eternity, and the law was a shadow of what we're seeing now, and even what we've received in the New Testament is a bit of a shadow of what we're going to be seeing in heaven. So uh, I think that, that is what Grant was sharing. Okay, so I think, I think we're making some good, some good points here. Let me just add this here. R.C. Sproul Uh, in his book, Everyone's a Theologian, says this. We can have an apprehensive, there's kind of that fearful aspect when you hear the word apprehensive, meaningful, and I'd like to throw in the word impactful, knowledge of God, but we can never, not even in heaven, have an exhaustive knowledge of him. So I think that echoes a little bit about what we've heard from from Michael and Grant, that even though we're going to be out of the flesh and bones bodies, we're going to be glorified. Our knowledge of God will never, will never be full. So I, I, if, if you find another spot in Scripture that says we will, 
uh, totally comprehend God. Please let me know, but I, I have not found that yet. And there's this example that Sproul gives in this book as well about, of this water glass, because right now a good analogy is this. We have in our minds, if you picture an eight-ounce water glass, that's our capacity. And there's actually, to understand God, you'll need infinite capacity to understand God. So think about that, you know, eight-ounce glass of water. I, I hate to even use the idea of an ocean because even the ocean is finite, as large as it is, an ocean is. Uh, take your pick. Uh, but we've got an infinite amount of understanding, which we will never attain to. Question, Yes. So what I've read about that, and I had the same question as I looked through that, would be the mysteries. So in the Old Testament, there are a lot of mysteries that were unveiled in the New Testament, and then there are still, as Grant referenced, some things in the New Testament we don't understand right now, but the, 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 the veil will be removed from our eyes from that understanding. So it's not a full knowledge of God, but there are some mysteries that will be unveiled. Yes, Grant. Right, right. So Grant's making the clarification. We are created beings. We are always going to be able to continue to grow. God, on the other hand, different category uh, than we are. So, yeah. So thank you. Thank you, Christine. That's a good, a good question clarifying. Because if, if you read that, you might think, oh, yeah, it looks like maybe we will fully know who God is. But uh, the understanding is that these are mysteries because there's a lot of things uh, going on in 1 Corinthians 13, starting chapter 12, all the way going through verse 14 that, that we wrestle with, the theologians have been wrestling with. Gordy? Even, even, though, even if we could know a lot about God, um, we will never be able to fully understand him. Um, and that's why we Right, so Gordy made the point that we can never walk in God's shoes, even though we'll be in a better state, glorified state, we will never be able to see things the way he sees things or do the things he does. Again, we're talking about a transcendent God, which is kind of the point we keep coming back to here, uh, way up above uh, who we are as his created being, so thank you. Okay, personal knowledge of God, let's uh, take a look at Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, if you want to make your way over there. Back to the Old Testament. You know, as I was gathering a lot of texts for today's uh, lesson, there's a lot of great information in the Old Testament that defines our God and talks about his great attributes. So you've got movements that take place saying, oh, the Old Testament doesn't really pertain to us as much these days, but I tell you what, there are a lot of great truths in the Old Testament about our God, and so do not discount that at all. 
So Jeremiah 9, verses 23 through 24, if you're there, I will read it. It says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And what do you see there? You see a personal relationship with the Lord. This is what we mean when we say, how is God known? He's known partially, and that's because of his grace, allowing us to even have that partial knowledge of him. But hopefully, again, as I'll say it like I did earlier today, for all of us in this room, we know him personally. There is a different level of knowing who God is when you know him personally. So I guess one way to sum this up is the more you want to know about someone, the more you will do to invest in the relationship with someone. And interestingly, if you look at the book of 1 John, not a large book. I think there are five chapters in 1 John. But you talk about a book that uses that word know, K-N-O-W. And you see just how well that is weaving through the idea of a relationship not only with God, but then it impacts relationships with others, whether it be others in the body of Christ or others outside of the body of Christ. It really is a a nice, succinct book that emphasizes this understanding of know. You've got to know. And how do we know God? We pursue the knowledge of God through his word. And so I encourage all of us, if we are serious about wanting to know what we can attain, know what we can grasp about our infinite God, to spend time in this relationship with him. So uh, Aaron and I are celebrating an anniversary today. And one of the things we did uh, when we were just getting to know each other was spend heavy time talking to each other, getting to know each other. Uh, This was something we were looking at. Is this somebody we're going to want to spend the rest of our lives with? Well, we're going to be spending the rest of eternity with God. It behooves us now to get to know this God, so the time that we have here on this earth is going to be well invested to bringing him honor and glory, which I think is the purpose of our lives, to know him and to make him known. So may the Lord help us uh, pursue the relationship with him. So what are the means of God's knowability? And we're, we'll not get into the uh, text. We won't read them because these are texts we've looked at recently, but uh, we know through our study in Bibliology in the early weeks of this Theology 101 class that Psalm 19 talks about the heavens declaring. There is a general knowledge of God that is available to anybody who takes a look around, and that's given to us in Psalm 19. Romans 1.20 talks about what? It says it is clear. The things through creation have been made clear to people, not just those who are saved, but there is a general knowledge of God available through creation. So that echoes a bit of what Psalm 19 says. And then we've got God in his grace and goodness providing us with special revelation. And Pastor actually referred to one of these verses in a recent message. If you'll turn over to Hebrews 1 with me. I love this uh, this opening 
section of Hebrews. And if you know the book of Hebrews, you recognize there's a lot of focus on the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the excellence of Jesus Christ. And what you see at the very start of this book is God outlining how he has made himself known over the course of time. So if you look at verses 1 through 3 with me, Hebrews 1 says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, that is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And I guess what I want to focus on, really, as you look at the first couple of verses that talk about this progressive understanding of God, how he has revealed himself uh, through the prophets, and now in, in more recent times through his son. But in verse 3, it says, he is the radiance. You see this idea of this brightness of the glory of God, uh, that when Moses came in contact with this, uh, he was changed physically, and, and no doubt as a person, encountering God as he did. And it says the exact imprint of his nature. And what does that mean? Well, when you go back to Genesis, and it talks about God creating man in his image, and then you talk about the ideal, the exact imprint of what that should look like, that would be Jesus Christ. So this perfect image of God-bearer, who is also God and reflects the glory of God, that is how God then helps us understand him through the human, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And that's how he operated uh, for 30-plus years there in, in the start of the millennium. And then as we, as we looked at with our study in bibliology, we see that the rest of the canon would be completed. So we've got Old Testament scripture, we've got God's Son, and he testifies a couple of times in John 10. He says, I and the Father are one. If you had any doubts, the connection between God the Father and God the Son. He says to the Jewish leaders, which this is another case, if you were to look at this passage, this statement almost led to the stoning of Jesus. So, you know, they were ready to take up stones and, and fire away when he said this. This was blasphemy to the Jewish leaders of that day. And then a couple chapters later, John 14, he's talking to Philip, and he makes this statement, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So we get a, a good understanding of who God the Father is uh, because of the person of Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned, We've now got the Old Testament scripture and the New Testament scripture combined, the completed canon for which we should be eternally grateful, uh, as we can not only see what God did in the Old Testament as he revealed his character, his laws to those people, his chosen people, and then we get into the life and person of Jesus Christ outlined in the first four chapters of the, or for, I should say first four books of the New Testament, and then you get the rest of the New Testament which flows out of the life of Christ uh, in the work of the early church and the apostles, upon which uh, Christ said the church would be built. Okay, um, memorable highlights of special revelation. As we go through some of these attributes, you might remember we did this last week. 
Were there any moments in the Old Testament, maybe New Testament, you look back and you say, wow, that really was, even though we didn't highlight it here today specifically, this was God making himself known in a very special way. Were there any highlights you thought about from the Old or New Testament? Dan? Okay, uh, that's, that's, an, that's a good example. So Dan said in the book of Esther, you've got this conflict between Mordecai and Haman, and Haman wanted to extinguish the Jewish nation, and here God shows up uh, through, through Mordecai. Is that fair? Yeah, thanks. Uh, Grant? All right. Okay. So Grant identified the story of Sennacherib and where 185,000 God showed up and destroyed 185,000. And that was one night? Yeah, that was quite a defeat. Okay, so Michael said the Red Sea was quite a way for God to reveal himself when the Egyptian army fell and were defeated in the Red Sea. Nick? Okay, we can come back to you. So uh, Nick shared Moses in the burning bush, which, yeah, that was, that was very unique, wasn't it? Very special revelation uh, there in Exodus. Michael? Okay, so Jesus' resurrection from the dead was a powerful declaration. In a sense, you are seeing God reveal himself in that act, in a, in a mighty way that you don't typically see. Good. One that I thought about, and I alluded to this earlier, as we talked about Moses encountering God, was this whole story of Moses and the Ten Commandments. Uh, so here you've got, you know, God uh, connecting here with Moses to share what becomes the basis of law, not only for the nation of Israel, but then even today, you go into our, many of our courthouses. The foundation of our law uh, was from the Ten Commandments. And this was a special act of revelation from the Lord where he makes himself known to some degree. Again, it cost Moses some hair color and some other things. He came out pretty bright from that experience. Uh, but I, that, that was one, to me, one highlight from the Old Testament. Okay, I know we're... <laughs> this is my fear. These, these attributes are so rich, and we're, we're kind of taking a, a broad overview, and I'm going to try to get three ready every Sunday, but we'll probably only get through two. Um, so here we are now going on to the next attribute. God is immutable or unchangeable. So let's take a look at that with the remaining time we have left. So how would we define this? 
Well, in our book, uh, Wayne Grudem says that God remains the same in his, he lays out four, four areas where God remains the same in his attributes, in his being, in his promises, and in his purposes. So you might say we are studying God's attributes. So everything we're studying here, and not all of them obviously, but many of them, they will stay the same. You can lock those in. In his being, as he exists, that will never change. In the promises he has made, those will never change. Lock those in. And in the purposes or the counsel or his will, that will also stay the same as we have an unchangeable and immutable God. I think it was we several weeks ago, I think it was Flora, uh, we were talking about some theological I words, and I think, Flora, you mentioned this one, immutable, uh, which, which is the term here to go with God being unchangeable. Okay, so is this attribute communicable or incommunicable? Hmm. Do we share this attribute with God? Are we unchangeable? Grant votes for incommunicable. Do we have a second or do we have a disagreement? I think this is one we can chalk up in the incommunicable category. This is only God, only God. Aaron, have I changed in the last 18 years? A little bit, okay. So <laughs> there we got proof from my wife that I've changed, so this is definitely an incommunicable attribute. So good, all right. I think she said only a little bit, though. All right, good. Numbers 23, 19. Uh, well, how do we know God doesn't change? We look at his word, and his word tells us that. So in his promises, one of the categories Grudem mentions up there, it says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Uh, so we're getting early on in the Pentateuch, this understanding that God is not going to change what he says he will do. How about related to his purposes? Well, Psalm 33, 11 says he is unchangeable there. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. And maybe one of the most well-known uh, proof texts of this idea of God's immutability is that he is unchangeable, and I think this applies to his attributes and his being. It says, for I, the Lord, do not change. All right, so with, with the time left here, I know we've got, I want to be done about 10 after and leave some time for your thoughts and testimonies here, but um, maybe you had this thought. But didn't God change his mind? And the Bible, in some of the translations, they use the word repent on certain occasions. All right, so what were these occasions where we look back and we say, wait, God, didn't you change what you were doing or said you were going to do? Can you remember any of those, Grant? Well, I think God is Okay, so Grant's looking back at the example of Noah, 
And there was a general statement by God there in Genesis 6 that he repented about creating mankind, but Noah did find grace in the eyes of the Lord. So, that, yeah, that is certainly one of the stories uh, that sometimes we look back and say, but it says God repented. He had this change of, of mind. And, again, there is language that is in the Bible, and the way it's written is for us to understand it a certain way. So we'll, we'll unpack that in a little bit more. Okay, good example of uh, Moses. God was on the verge as he, he was on the verge many times in the Old Testament of bringing serious punishment and destruction to his people. They didn't get their act together, and Moses prayed, and that seemed to have shifted God's, God's plan for them. Yes? Lot. Okay, so the story of Lot. So there was destruction. So God said, but there's Lot. And uh, didn't find too many more righteous folks besides Lot, did he, in Sodom and Gomorrah? Wayne? All right, so Wayne's saying that God cannot allow the sin to continue, and, be, be, and that's because his unchanging character would not allow for that to happen. So they, they do relate absolutely. So a couple of the examples here um, that, that I thought about with, with God changing his mind, and w- this was mentioned already, but the story of, uh, we won't take time to read it, uh, but it is an interesting chapter uh, where you've got the sons of man coming down to the daughters of, of earth, and uh, then God is saying, oh, I repent that I created mankind. I'm going to destroy them. But Noah does find grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then what about the story of uh, Jonah and Nineveh in Jonah 3, where God is going to destroy Nineveh, and it seems like Jonah's excited about that. He's, he's like, all right, I'll go take the message, but Lord, I expect you to destroy them. And lo and behold, what happens? Nineveh repents. God relents. And Jonah is not a happy person after that, is he? Okay, so sure. Another so Grant's just echoing. This is an example of Jonah knowing God's character and how he's going to have to deal. Is that when he had that gourd that grew up and he hid under that and he was pouting? Yeah, running to start and then he's pouting after God does what God does. So yeah. Um, so I think a good way to think about this and uh, Grudem when talking about this idea of God and some of these situations in the Bible that unfold, he says God's present attitude or intention related to a specific situation. And that's just reflecting back to this idea of 
you know, how do we think about God in these biblical scenarios when it looks like he's changing his mind? So you've got to think about his present attitude as it's being relayed to us in the text of Scripture. And then he says, as the situation changes, God's attitude or expression of an intention will change as well. Uh, Grudem. So you might think about it like this. God will make conditional declarations. All right? So this is what's going to happen. But there's a condition. If mankind responds in a certain way, that condition will not be met. But if they continue down the same path, then, as oftentimes has happened in the Old Testament, there will be judgment and destruction wrought by God. So think of, think of it that way in some of these scenarios uh, as a conditional declaration. It's not God changing, but it's he is responding accordingly to his character uh, to his plan, and he will be glorified through all of that. So I, I guess I just want to, you know, think a little bit here, maybe in your own lives, if you think about yourselves, the relationships you're in, even society at large, how, how do you think this idea of God's immutability and his unchangeable aspects um, would fit into today's society? We live in such a progressive society where it seems like Change is always good, right? And sometimes we can't keep up with the rate of change, the pace of change. Nick? Okay, so interesting. So Nick, Nick believes that just as God always had a remnant of the Old Testament, as much change as we see right now in our society and culture, God is using that to refine and maybe identify who truly are his people. So as opposed at times as we may be to this change, could it be that God is indeed using all this chaos and change in our society to refine and identify uh, that remnant? So that's, that's a good, good thought. Others, how, how, do we, how do we fix our eyes on this unchangeable God in this ever-changing society we live in? John? Amen. I, I, I would agree with that, but you're right. You said it right. Uh, some people think all this change and all these you know, rem- removals of things that we would say are standards, you've got to have these absolutes, they think these are good things, right? What a, what a backwards, and this is why I think it's becoming harder and harder for us to strive with people around us because we've got so many people who think like that. Uh, Grant? Yeah, so Grant said that uh, we are going to be seeing a society that gets worse and worse. That is promised in the Bible. That should not surprise us. Uh, But we're also seeing some of this happening even within the church. So not just the society at large, but even within the church. And the pressure will be on, no doubt, in, in the coming weeks, months, years, how much change will be forced before we maybe see increased persecution. Uh, with, with how we go about our, our church. So, yeah, something to think about. Okay, so we've got a couple minutes left. Any um, testimonies uh, as you think about these attributes of God? I, I, again, am purposing to give us time to thank the Lord, let the redeemed of the Lord say so as it relates to God's knowability or God's immutability, especially in this uh, world we live in today. Gordy? Good, good point. So Gordy said that it is an amazing uh, characteristic of God that he 
soul appreciates, desires um, this idea of a relationship with us, that within his sovereign plan, he has chosen to work within some of the decisions that mankind has made. And again, he as God does not have to do that. He does not even have to make himself known partially to us. We could be grasping at straws. This could be a very impersonal relationship, right? But he, in his love and kindness, uh, has, has chosen to do otherwise. And he is a relational and loving God because of that. Thank you. Any, anyone else? Christine? Amen. Christine, that, that's well said. That's a great way, I think, to close out today. And she shared that because of God's immutable characteristics, his, his attributes, we have lives that can be tossed to and fro uh, in this world. And it brings hope and confidence. And I'm glad you said anchor, because I kept thinking about some hymns as we were preparing for this. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. So, yeah, thank you. Great way to close. Let's have a word of prayer as it's uh, time, to, time to end. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together, and we acknowledge we live in a crazy and chaotic world, and I think everybody in this room can attest to that. Uh, We are so grateful, Lord, though, that you are unchangeable, and where would we be without the anchor uh, that you are in our lives? And so we we thank you for that. We praise you for that. Thank you for making yourself yourself knowable to us. Uh, It was not something you had to do, but fact that we can even uh, gain some understanding in this lifetime and even in a personal relationship with you. What a, what a blessing and what a joy, what an honor uh, that is. And so our prayer is that we know you more each day and that we make you known uh, to those around us because of who you are and what you've done. And we ask you a blessing on the service to follow in Jesus' name. Amen.